Welcome to the 8th edition of the British Soldiers Running Podcast with your co-hosts, James Elson and... Dan Lawson. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Very oh, well, man. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time since we uh, we chatted, eh? Yeah. It's been far too long. I yeah, think it's I'm, been I'm... two months, actually. Yeah, but we did chat in between, didn't we? But no one... Uh... No, we didn't manage to get that out as an episode, did we? I fumbled the sound on that one, I'm afraid, and it was so bad that it was unpublishable. I'm not sure that's actually weird. But it, w- it would have been our best episode ever, wasn't it? <laughs> it we, we, uh, was literally just yeah. Dan and I talking about 24-hour races for an hour. Uh, and considering we seem <laughs> to do that on every podcast, Dan commented that it was just sounded like a phone call between two mates that other people could then listen to so you probably didn't all miss that much let's just uh, briefly recap december dan you ran the 24 hour in suchow in taiwan and you did pretty, pretty yeah, I bloody did. well for Tell. about 21 and a half hours yeah i did all right half yeah. hours. to cut, cut a short story long or whatever a lot, I, I spent the next couple of hours lying down in a medical tent having a drip and then managed back out for the last 10 minutes it's been brilliant that they let me back in after <laughs> having a drip <laughs> it was an amazingly competitive sometime. race wasn't it I, I think the winner was the japanese guy who won the world champs this year it was you yeah. florian uh, stefan ruel you were all racing to such an unbelievable level and then also courtney de walter broke the u.s 24-hour record not the world just yeah. the u.s right yeah but she was close she was only yeah like a couple of kilometers away from the from the world record yeah amazing yeah she's a tough girl yeah courtney it was it was great to watch that because she yeah she broke the u.s record but in the middle of the her 24-hour race she really suffered you know she was it looked like she was down and out but she's Kind of pulled herself back up and then, and then uh, got an amazing uh, total there, yeah. which is it's it's nice it's that happened because whenever you feel really bad in in a race or in a 24 hour you know it's possible to to get through it and mm. then, and do something special even even if you feel that bad. Mm. Maybe I could have done with a dose of that advice. <laughs> um, Eleven hours into a desert solstice, I had a go at to 24 hour out in Phoenix. The week after you, yes, and um, had a had a good start. It was it was amazing race for one main reason, and that reason uh, was Camille Heron. She yeah, she came into it with a recent hundred mile world record of twelve forty two, and she said at the start that she was hoping to break, and and it was actually more than this because she wanted to break all the U.S. records as well. But world fifty mile, world hundred k. Well, no, not World 100K, US 100K, World, tw- World 12, World 100 Mile, World 24 Hour Records, all, all in one race. She didn't make the dinner the night before because she was out running. And then when we showed up at the <laughs> track before the, ra- before the race, this person was running round and round. And I was like, oh, they've got recreational joggers on the track. You know, that's fine. I guess it's a public track. It was Camille. And she was out there for at least 40 minutes before the race started. Then when the race began, uh, it got hot pretty quickly. Zach Bitter was going for the 100-mile world record, which is 11.28. And he was on pace for about six hours and then just literally fainted mid-stride and collapsed onto the infield. And the, the, 
I think most people went anyway. There were only four or five people left on the track at the end of the race. But Camille, she broke the 50 mile record, then she stopped and downed a bottle of lager. Did not did not some like non alcoholic yeah. thing for show. She downed a bottle of beer. Then she walked two laps. Then she started running again at the same pace and broke the US 100k record, I believe. Then she stopped and she had another beer. Um, then she walked two yeah. more laps and then she went on and broke the world 12 hour record. And then she did, she had another beer, but she decided that's probably enough for one day. She ran in a style that it's was amazing. I mean, it was. It was just unreal. She she was completely focused. She didn't really sort of give an inch. She just was just in a zone and running with quite a sort of almost aggressively, almost you know in her own world, just completely one hundred percent focused on the job. And her husband mm-hmm. is also her coach, and he was on the the start finish of each four hundred meter lap with a stopwatch, literally giving her information every single lap. I mean, it was quite something to watch. I ended up um, I ended up having a bad race, and about um, ten and a half, eleven hours in, I was being sick both sides of the track into um, various dustbins, and um, Fergie, who'd come to support me, was <laughs> I think he was less than impressed. In the <laughs> end, I just it was it was just becoming to the point where I was just going to get absolutely nowhere near the number I'd set myself, um, and with another sort of twelve hours of walking and. I think I probably could have turned it around and and run, you know, begun running again at some point. But I had a really tough time motivating myself just to continue when a target that I'd set and the only target that mattered disappeared. And the reason we had those targets was that they suddenly announced a European 24 hours, literally five days before that race. And actually the day after your Taiwan event. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Announced yeah. 24 hours for May for, for European Championships in Romania. So, you know, we both already had qualifiers, which was kind of a weird position to be in because I guess we were both looking ahead to 2019 with the events we were doing in December. So they'll announce a team for that at the end of this month and that would be interesting for sure. What's next for you, man? I'm racing Rocky Raccoon 100 at the beginning of Feb out in Texas. It's a race I've been to five times before. And I just really enjoy five it. Five times, really? Five yeah. times. But I, I DNF one of them. Yeah. You get a jacket for 500 mile finishes. So I'll get a nice jacket. So I can wear that in bed like Ken does with his finisher t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. What about you? And then, and then are we, wait, wait, wait. Are we allowed to talk about that race that we weren't allowed to Yes, we can yet. talk yeah, about it your, because the, the entry talk about list it. is up. Yeah. So when, when's that one? When I can't, the race I can't say named? when it is. is. I can't say when it is. That's the one thing that apparently we're not but allowed. But you can't. <laughs> the reason, I'll, I'll tell you why I can't say when it is. Because last year, apparently, they had a thousand spectators at the event. And it's... it's oh, okay. The, okay, so I'll just say, the race we're talking about is the Barclay Marathons, which is a um, a race out in Frozen Head State Park in Tennessee. If you don't know anything about the race, the best way to find out about it is go well, on Netflix film, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and watch the film called The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young. And um, it's quite good. <laughs> and then, yeah, so we can't say when it is because he's changed the date to stop people showing up to watch. And the are they actually going to tell you when it is or is that something you've got to find out no they do tell like us they've, told, own, they've told us when it is but it says on the instructions if you, do, if you don't know what time it starts and you don't know how to find the start location then we can't help you so 
Um, so um, you're expected to. <laughs> and know then, your and then you go into that. Your aim is to you. You want to? How many do you have to do to finish it? How many rounds? Is it four or five? Well, it's, it's, six. it's every lap is 20.00 miles um, and he changes the course every year. Um, and every time someone finishes the race, they he makes it harder. So it's been going, yeah. I think it's been going, f- I, I think since the mid 90s and they've had 16 finishes. So yeah. each, each lap is 20 miles. Apparently each lap is about 25 miles and it has about 12,000 feet of climbing per 25 miles. So it's a hundred, it's a hundred and thirty odd miles with about sixty thousand feet of climbing for the finish, and the cutoff yeah, is, yeah. is sixty hours, and the course record is fifty three, so um, yeah. it's quite hard. I think the, uh, so what I'm doing at the moment is but going is going to the woods at night with a compass on my own and just <laughs> taking bearings through the woods on really steep ground and practicing yeah. you know grabbing onto trees and sliding around in the mud and and, <laughs> and navigating so you, are you really doing that yeah yeah so, i mean there's no other way to train for it yeah. wendover woods where we yeah, hold our race say. at the end of the year is i mean weirdly it's actually although it's much smaller in terms of you know the climbs at frozen head state park can be like a mile Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 1,500 feet in a mile, that kind of thing. Um, Wendover, you can get, you know, 300 feet in 0.1 miles. So it's not the same thing, but it is yeah. on a miniature scale, and it is bloody hard work sometimes going up and down there. So, it's, yeah. anyway. And how how do you feel? Does it, does it scare you a little, that race? It would scare me. What I'm concerned about is there's only 40 starters, right? And they always say, as a ver- they call you virgins or veterans. People who are new to the race are the virgins. And they always say you're at a massive disadvantage because you don't know the course. You're not allowed to go out on the course before the race. Um, mm. but that's, the, that's the mandate of the state park to stop damage to the trails. And Well, half of it's not on trail. I think my biggest concern is if, they, if he starts the race at something like midnight... And my yeah, first and loop no, is almost yeah, completely yeah. in darkness, navigating with map and compass. I, I'm not the sort of person that would feel comfortable just latching on to a veteran and saying, you know, I'm going to follow you until it gets light. And then who knows? Uh, so yeah. they, they have virgins and veterans. And don't they always pick, don't they always pick what they call it? They always pick one person who's like the. Yeah, that's right. They, pick who they know he's not going to finish. Yeah, yeah. The human sacrifice. Or, you sure that's not you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of people have asked me that, but he's um, th- basically there's a there's a like a st- I don't know how much I can actually give away here, but there's a secret Facebook group that you get invited to if you get selected to run the race, right? So you ne- you would never uh-huh. find it. He he sets a different one up each year, I think, and the stuff that gets talked about in there is quite interesting. He's definitely of a mind that. If you finish lots of long, hard races and you do a lot of through hiking or stuff like the Bob Graham or fell running, then you stand a better uh-huh. chance of finishing. And he does actually want people to finish, not yeah. simply just, you know, make up numbers. He's also this year, he's apparently let a lot of top women into the event because there's been complaints in uh-huh. the past. that it's hardly any women competing. You know, no women can finish the race, this, that and the other has been said and I think this time he's taken the view right you know let's let the best women in who've applied 
let a higher proportion of women in and see see what happens there. So that could be great because undoubtedly there are some women out there that can um, can show the guys how it's really done. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, well, that's those. That's exciting. What's next. That's what's next for me. What about yeah. you? What you got a busy calendar before the Euros? Not so busy. No, could be busier. I'm going to run a couple of half marathons. <laughs> And then going back to China, run the, I ran it last year, the uh, Mount Galigong, 100 miler, which is be- beautiful race. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm stoked to be going back there. And then I think I might do uh, 100k in Wales. And then hopefully, if, if selected, then I'll go to Romania in, in May to run the uh, 20 hours. Yeah, so next next ultra really is the, is the one in in march the, the chinese one and you yeah. won that last year i did win it yeah well, I, I came over i was joint winner yeah with mick Thwaites, yeah okay we came over the Good line mick. together yeah okay um but the, yeah uh, but this year it's much much bigger i think the, the, i ran it last year and I think it was like the pilot event so it was just like i think it was like 45 runners but i think this year They've kind of teamed up UTMB, haven't they, this year? And it's, um, I think there's over like 1,000, 1,500 runners in it. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay, cool. So, it should be a bit more competition. I think there's some really strong Chinese runners out there as well that hopefully uh, make it a bit of a race out front. You like racing in China. I mean, that's, that's three races in, or four races in the last year out in China, right? Yeah, I like it in China. I really like it. It's a different. It's the Chinese, they're really, I mean, they seem to, they're, they can mobilise people so well, you know, I don't know. And, and then the government um, put a lot of money into into sport and into like ultra running. And so, and this one, this race was just, it was amazing because it was like, you're off into the mountains, but you come into the villages for the checkpoints and you go through these really like isolated little villages, but it was like, well, it must have been like everybody in the village just on the streets uh, cheering you when you came into the interviews. Even like at three in the morning, it was like there was like thousands of people out as you come into the checkpoint and when you leave the checkpoint. It was a really, it was great atmosphere, yeah. So brilliant. I'm excited. And what I'm date is that? to run that again. When is what it? What date? Hmm. It's like the start of March. Yeah. Okay. Maybe... Yeah, never like seventh or ninth of March okay. or something like that. Yeah, cool. you're coming back to back to the UK. You're still in India. Coming back soon, right? I'm coming back on uh, yeah, soon, like in about two and a half weeks or something. Yeah, oh, be nice to have yeah. you home, mate. Um, oh man, yeah. But I'm like, it's at that. I've just like the spine race has just started, doesn't it? I've been watching that little so, and it's just. Oh man, it looks cold. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, like it's just starting to heat up a bit more. And uh, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm a bit worried about the cold. It's pretty bit, miserable here today, well. I've got to say. Three degrees, yeah. absolutely sheeting yeah. it down with rain in the woods this morning. 
um, pre yeah. pre unpleasant. But you know, it's like it's just getting out the door in that, and then 15 minutes in, you're warm and it's it's good fun anyway. So today's guest, um, we've got a bit of a different setup today because Dan has to go because he's got um, he's got uh, prior engagement. It's bedtime, yeah. James bedtime, and your dear, really your dear, um, dark your dear, dear other half Charlotte yeah. is waiting for you. So we're going to speak to I'm going to speak to you, Tom Evans. I'll do a little intro for Tom in a second and then bring him in. But um, Dan, for now, good luck, buddy. Safe journey home. Keep yeah. up the good work. Yeah, yeah. Make sure say hello, say hello to Tom for me. Yeah. Give me your number He's one like, question uh, for Tom. I know you know him well, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a different one. But what's what's your main question for Tom? What's my mate? I want to know. Yeah, I want to talk about that photo shoot I saw on Facebook with him. Drinking cups of tea and blazes. Uh. So yeah, we saw Tom in a Facebook pic the other day, wearing sort of what I would describe as fairly hoity-toity tie. Something that Dan and I probably have never worn in our entire lives, and uh, carrying it off quite well. But we need to find out what yeah. the hell that was about. Um, so yeah. I started to read. I started to read the first. I think it. I think it's for a reasonably hoity-toity magazine as well, yeah. Because I read the first line on the in the magazine and it was, uh, Tom Evans is, is an incredible fit chap. <laughs> that was it. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to ask <laughs> yeah, Tom about so ask that. Him, ask him about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, bud. Be interesting. <laughs> okay. Good luck All in right, the meantime. So enjoy, yeah. I'll catch you on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. See you later. Yes, bye. 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 So here we are, episode eight of the British Ultronic Podcast. Dan has now departed and Tom has joined us. So welcome, Tom, to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, hi, James. Yeah, really good. I've had a couple of big weeks of training, but no, really good, thanks. So where are you right now? Uh, right now I'm in, uh, I'm in Surrey, uh, but I've just, just finished packing my bag for a two-week uh, training camp in Lanzarote. That sounds pretty good. Are you running the, the camp or are you part of the organisation or are you going and someone else is taking it? Uh, I am, I'm going there as part of the organisation uh, with Ian Corliss and Elizabeth Barnes. Uh, it's a Marathon de Saab specific training camp, uh, but it'll be a perfect opportunity for me to get some good mileage in mm. before I go to Costa Rica for the Coastal Challenge uh, in the middle of February. Nice. That sounds like a pretty great month ahead. Yeah. yeah. So the reason, the main reason we wanted to get you on the show is that Dan and I were discussing who we felt were our pick for British Ultra Runners of the Year, I guess you could say. It was a toss-up for me between yourself and um, Rob Sinclair up in Scotland. And you, you had completely contrasting years. Rob ran three incredible races up there, three course records that have stood for a long time i mean it was just incredible what he did but your your year in terms of three key results and you can tell me if there's some other stuff you know around that that we've missed but to have a runner uh, you know a british runner operating on the level that you are in really huge um international the biggest stage really international trail events is just fantastic but the questions obviously really f- from our side are around you know, what came before and what comes next. But let's just recap your 2017. So April, Marathon de Saab, yep. debut performance, sub 20 hours for a 250k stage race, third overall. I mean, that's <laughs> some start. 
You then went to, on to two further UTWT Ultra Trail World Tour events and finished fourth at the Eiger um, Ultra Trail 101 kilometer distance and then fourth at CCC in yeah. under 11 hours. I mean, that is some year. So firstly, congratulations. Uh, absolutely Thanks very amazing. Much. To, was there anything else around that? Have we missed anything else? So before, not really. I, I did my first ever ultra marathon in December 2016. Okay. Uh, I was in I was in Brecon doing some training on the hills uh, with some mates, uh, and we saw there some little route markers out. Uh, for those who know the area, uh, going up the Roman Road, so up towards Windy Gap and up to Penny Fan, and popped into Likey's shop in Brecon uh, and to find out that they were they were hosting a race there the next day that was a 56 miler uh, with quite a lot of climbing uh, so I thought why not test myself I've always wanted to do an ultra marathon so let's give it a go I'd su- already signed up for marathon to Saab so I did that race um, that went better than I could have could have ever possibly hoped which is always nice but that was it really uh, I raced I've raced a lot of cross-country, some short cross-country distance uh, in the last 12 months. And the most recent was the Sussex County Championships, yeah, which went really well, which is nice. Which you won, right? Yeah, I somehow somehow managed to speak it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's the thing with you, that on paper, it, it would be surprising that a runner could come out and run at this level, you know, seemingly off the bat, but, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise when you look at the short speed that you have going then right through marathon distance and up through obviously into the long stuff i think what's perhaps surprising is how well you've managed to move to ultras with seemingly you know not much in between that 56 miler i mean obviously that would have been a great experience and taught you something but then to get into something like the mds and get that so right the first time um is just so impressive so if we rewind, tell us about where your your background in endurance comes from, because some of our uh, audience will will know a lot about you. Some won't know anything. So, you know, rewind right back to your school years, if you don't mind. And, and tell us about, you know, what sport you've done over the years that's put you in at this level now. Yeah, of course. So I was I was incredibly fortunate growing up and was lucky enough to get to play loads of different sports um, so when I was at school uh, school on the south coast at Eastbourne College I would sort of play play rugby in the winter and then do uh, some track and field in the summer and looking back on it now I probably should have focused slightly more on on the running uh, on the track and I'd run 1500 meters uh, and maybe a steeplechase uh, but at that time I was far more interested in the team sports and played rugby to a fairly high standard uh, while growing up, uh, when I I then left school at eighteen and decided that I didn't want to follow the standard route of going on a gap year and then going to university and not really knowing what I wanted to do, uh, so I I joined the army uh, and I went to Sandhurst and finished at Sandhurst in August two thousand and twelve with a commission into the first battalion Welsh Guards. When I got to the Welsh Guards, they were on ceremonial duties. Uh, based in London, uh, so I did lots of trooping the colour, uh, lots of changing of the guard and things like that. Uh, that was really good and really sort of taught me the discipline um, and how to, when you may not necessarily want to do something, 
uh, or you think something's really tough, but okay. actually realizing that you've got to go and do it, which is definitely a lesson that I bring forward to my running. Mm. But it, to, to, to fill the gaps, I um, I still played a lot of rugby and sort of played rugby for the Welsh Guards, um, which was an amazing, amazing experience. And it's a really, it was a really different style of the sport, sort of from a from a fast and flowing game to an incredibly physical game. And at that point, I realized that I probably wasn't big or physical enough um, to excel in the sport. So what I thought, right, What position were you playing at that point? Uh, I was playing open side flanker and was, at my, at my heaviest, I was weighing 102 kilos, okay. which, is an, which is an awful lot. And I'm sort of fairly, and I've sort of looked at photos fairly recently and thought that I was in reasonable shape, but absolutely not. Sort of seriously, <laughs> seriously round faced at 18. Okay. Um, but so then decided that I'd always, I'd always sort of been into my physical challenges uh, and it always liked pushing myself mentally and physically so i thought after sort of a little bit of a little bit of a search of oh, what could i do that that looks sort of pretty challenging um so decided that the first triathlon that i should do uh, should be an ironman um as you as you do obviously um yeah yeah that's the logical that's the logical step going from nothing to uh, to an Ironman. So yeah. did a little bit of training beforehand and by a little bit, I think I did one sea swim, 100-mile uh, bike ride and just ran a, ran a couple of times around Richmond Park. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and that was, I did the race and did the race very unprepared, but really enjoyed it. Loved being able to put your, to really test your limits and sort of see what you're really made of. Um, which Ironman did you do? Uh, I did Ironman Wales. Okay. Right, which is quite a tough course, right? I mean, yeah, it's a it's a really tough course. the The run is the run's sort of fairly easy, um, but it's the bike that's really tough because it's yeah. really hilly, yeah, um, and steep and twisty. So the speed that you lose, similar to running, the speed that you lose going uphill, you just weren't able to make it up going downhill. How um, How long did that take you to get around that course then? Uh, it took me just over eleven hours. I mean, so um, okay. Let's put this in perspective. <laughs> you did almost zero training, um, yeah, and came in uh, what is a very, very respectable. I mean, obviously, considering the results you've gone on to since, I, I dread to think how fast you could, you know, complete <laughs> an Ironman now. But that is very respectable. So did that? So that sort of lit the fire of right. Okay, what else is there on the endurance spectrum that I could turn my hand to? Yeah, ex exactly. So did that in uh, two thousand and. 13 um i was then incredibly busy at work sort of throughout 2014 uh, and didn't really do didn't really do any events so did a little bit of running uh, for the welsh guards and for the army but nothing nothing too serious uh, and that was just on the track a little bit of cross country it was then in 2015 uh, i was posted to kenya for nine months um and we were living uh, in a small town called nanuki that's on the foothills of mount kenya mm -hmm. Um, I did a race out there called the Lewa Marathon. Uh, that's an amazing event uh, organised in the Lewa National Park. That's a, a full safari park. Lions, elephants, giraffes, zebras all over the place. Uh, did that race, um, and it was the first proper marathon I'd done. But it's on all on track and trail and sandy and at 2,000 metres elevation and about 25 degrees. Um, that sounds and, rough. I mean, for your first one, I bet you weren't holding back either, right? Uh, no, yeah, I I went for it. I'd read the sort of the uh, Howard Finn's 
uh, book running with the Kenyans. That's the race that he does at the end. He, he ran it in the same year in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great, great to meet him and sort of to, I could, after reading the book, I could see exactly why he loved it so much. And I really caught the bug after that. Um, and it was a really, really cool race that I'll definitely try and go back to do. Uh, but after that, I had a couple of weeks off. So I went to Iten in northwestern Kenya, uh, which is another small town where a lot of the Kenyan track and marathon runners uh, come from. Um, and I went to uh, Lorna Kiplat's uh, high altitude training center. And that sort of really sparked my enthusiasm. I met a couple of marathon runners, but then also sort of the most memorable runner who I did a little bit of training with is a female called Kirsten Bull, who is the current female Australian 100K record holder. Okay. And so sort of just seeing what, so sort of seeing the training that she did, so I could really relate to it and didn't pay that much attention at the time as I thought, wow, 100K, that's just, that's just crazy. Why would anyone possibly want to do that? Um, but and so the more the more so I think about my time there, and I've spoken to her quite a bit since, and um, it's a, going back to the basics of running, so seeing these sort of Kenyan school children sort of running to school, and they absolutely loved it. That's sort of really brought happiness back into running for me. It's something something that I then something that I think about a lot, and something that I use when I'm sort of running in the UK, sort of just try and imagine being back out there and sort of how running for them can change their lives so much and it's such a simple such a simple existence of just running and learning and so that was that was really that was a real experience for me uh, mm. then came back came back from kenya at the end of 2015 uh, to then go back into an incredibly busy 2016 with work with the welsh guards as they were preparing for a deployment to afghanistan so didn't didn't do too much running i did a little bit of cross country Sort of in the in the second half of 2016, mm-hmm. but we were then away on exercise from November till November 2016 till February 2017. So sort of the real peak build up for Marathon de Saab for me didn't exist. Right. I had about so you, you entered the MDS when earlier on in 2016, and then yeah, a- April would have entered in April 2016. A couple of a couple of army friends did it in 2000. 15 and in 2016 yeah. and did did really well so all finished it came sort of within the top third and we're like oh yeah so this is pretty good and so i sort of being incredibly uh competitive thought oh i'm fitter than you i reckon i can do a better time or do a better i wasn't entirely sure of the whole construct of the events didn't really know what i was buying into but uh but yeah entered it ended it back then didn't really think much of it initially didn't get a place and then some people dropped out and I ended up getting a place sort of in sort of August 2016. Um, but yeah, it was a way for the whole sort of peak build-up of training, sort of getting the miles and the legs. For me, it didn't exist. Um, my training sort of didn't look didn't look as most people would expect it to. My I reckon my weekly mileage was somewhere between maybe 10, 15 miles, and then probably went slightly crazy in a couple of weeks and really peaked out at about 100 miles. So it was really, but incredibly lumpy training with no real structure to it whatsoever. And did um, you have your pack on for that? Were you doing specific stuff or was it really, I'm just going to snatch every minute I can? It was pretty much, uh, right, I've got 45 minutes now at lunch. Um, oh, I'm just going to go smash out a 45 minute run. Okay. Sometimes with a pack, sometimes without. Being in the military, you're fairly used to moving a lot slower but with a much heavier weight sure so you yeah. so you are you are your sort of shoulders and your core are already accustomed and are already strong uh to deal with 
to deal with that. So to be perfectly honest, I didn't. I hardly did any training carrying a weight, carrying a pack. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of people start for certainly for Matt and Dasab, they use they start training the pack way too early. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's not good for you ca- carrying a pack and and running, um, especially where where I live. A lot of the yeah, the trails where I am are great, but a lot of the runs that you do end up being either on the road or on a harder surface. And carrying a four to eight kilo pack for that is just going to, no matter what trainers you're wearing, is just going to completely ruin your knees. So, yeah, yeah. so my sort of top tip for any running, carrying a pack more than two kilos is just to stay off the roads at all costs. Even if it, even if it means you're just running around in circles on a football pitch for an hour, Sure. Uh, It's just going to save you. It depends also on your approach, right? Because, I mean, I have had the fortune of running the MDS and running is is probably the worst possible word I could use (laughs) to describe my attempt. It was the first big race I ever did, similar to you, 2006. And I think there was about half the number of people that finished this year. But I can safely say that um, I walked about nine about 90 percent of the whole thing and i had done exactly what you just said run in training mostly with with the pack which had caused injuries en route to you know competing but also i was just completely in ill prepared physically for how much hiking there was going to be yeah and i was just i mean i made some such crucial errors i had Fluid, the only fluid I had was one black Adidas um, plastic <laughs> bottle that I couldn't reach, that went in the side pocket and I couldn't reach it by myself. So the guy I was running with had to get my water and pass it to me. Oh. I mean, so the set, the, there was a sandstorm on our second day and I disappeared off ahead because as you do when you're 23. And How old were you when you ran last year, Tom? 24? Uh, 25. It's almost embarrassing for me that you can go in and run the event in 20 hours and finish third and be that prepared. Uh, and yet I came in, okay, I was a, a year younger than you probably, but and have fucked it up so badly. <laughs> um, I learned some really harsh lessons. Actually, I was very lucky to finish. A lot of people didn't make it through that second day because of dehydration. And I'm, yeah. I think only because I was so skinny and my sweat rate was probably pretty low compared to others did i manage to scrape it through but yeah. specificity is so crucial for that race yeah. and, and you you seem to have got that so right for this first time but the what's potentially so exciting is so the build-up was all over the place and yet you ran the way you ran uh, and you were only cumulatively half an hour behind rashid who won so does that entice you back to the mds is it something you're going to want to do again yeah, one hundred percent. Funnily, you should, you should ask. I've been sort of mapping out over the last couple of weeks. Been mapping out my this season, uh, but then also going into the beginning of next season. Yeah. Um, and like you say, I think the specificity is is really important, um, and that's why I will never choose to do crazy amounts of races because I want to be able to build up uh, build up properly for these races. So I think in sort of December, January next year, um, I'm going to move out to Morocco and train full-time out there till April uh, to give Marathon de Saab edition 34, so 2019, a serious crack. 
I mean, as a as a as a fan of the sport and a, and a British ultra runner, that is is so good to hear. Firstly, that you're focusing on key events and not over racing, because I think a runner of your level, you're going to get invited all over the place to race all over the world. And you know, we'll talk about your sponsors in a minute, but you know, you're going to get opportunities that aren't necessarily open to everybody. And the temptation to grab every every chance and, you know, race yourself into the ground and end your career early has got to be there. But, you know, it sounds like you're taking a really disciplined approach to it, which is wholly unsurprising because you've already proven that discipline is something you, you're so good at. But it's just so exciting to, to, to think of the potential for you to just go out and win you know, these marquee races. And I guess, yeah, to, to compete against the Moroccans, it really is about acclimatization, but also knowing the course. Is the course something they publish up front? Can you go out and wreck it? Or is it just in the road book now that you get on race weekends, as it were? So it's, you only, officially it's just the road book, but you know, the course is always going to run in and around the same area, just okay. for, for ease of transport um, and for getting supplies to places so it's got to be accessible by road um so you know it's you know where it's roughly going to be um mm -hmm. but it's not it's not something like utmb or ccc that you can actually go out and recce so i spent i spent a couple i spent five hours in heat chambers at king's university building mm -hmm. up to marathon de sable yeah. went to the expo and was told right that's what you need to do yeah and you can sort of acclimatize within two weeks um but i think just to be as specific as possible and really train train properly for a race you've got to be able to invest that time that time into it uh, and yes you can't completely recce the course but you know there are going to be bits where you're going to be running on the dunes you know there are going to be bits when you climb over the biggest jebel a lot of it can be a lot of the training can be replicated in the uk there are some sort of great areas where you can train so in wales for example murphy mauer it's sort of the longest sand dune uh, that's really good if you don't mind running loops. But I think for me, my my view on things is if I'm if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it properly. Yeah. Uh, and really want to invest that time and effort being as scientific and doing as much as I possibly can to learn as much as I can about myself and about the sport and about the race. Uh, but then also I'm hope sort of taking that approach, hoping to be able to get the best results that I possibly can and push myself as hard as I possibly can. These guys that uh, you're going to be racing again next year, I, I mean, if I'm them, I'm going to be pretty worried because not only have you proved that you can kind of do it off the bat, but your your attitude to it is just, it's, it's absolutely spot on. Do you know what the other guys and the top female runners also are doing, you know, in terms of locals through the year? Do they have jobs? Are they almost pro athletes? Is it enough to, you know, exist uh, on? Yeah, they're all they're all pro okay um so they they manage to they get enough they're such superb athletes they manage to support themselves fully uh through local sponsors um but i know i raced rashid again uh in ccc this year yeah. uh yeah. the ultra trail world tour will support a couple of athletes per race okay so for him it's been amazing as he's been able to get the exposure outside morocco um and then to be able to compete on an international stage, not just in uh, Marathon de Saab. So there's a thing, organisations like the Ultra Trail World Tour do give these guys who come from maybe a slightly less fortunate background, it gives them the opportunity sort of to stand on a 
even on a level playing field uh, with other athletes and they would be able to compete around the world Super. but i know they they all do a lot of racing in the atlas mountains um and there are a couple of ultra trail races in the atlas mountains that do look absolutely incredible and there's some serious altitude as well as you can sort of start on the desert and then make your way up to 2000 meters and then drop back down morocco just seems like an amazing training ground um and i think for them as well it's not just for them mountain disturb isn't just a race they would have grown up sort of seeing the likes of athletes like Mohammed ansel competing in mountain disturb and sort of really making a name for them it's almost like sort of for the kenyans it's it's a way to really leave your legacy in morocco and mountain yeah. disturb a lot of people have heard of it um and it is it's yeah for me for me going into mountain disturb i was like right this is a race but now it's MDS will always be a part of me and I can see why people especially the Moroccans go back year in year out because it's it is so much more than just a race yeah absolutely now just give us a bit of a frame of reference on you're such a you're so, so humble you can tell just from the way you're describing things you know you said you had a good run out of the Sussex County cross camp, cross country champs you happen to win I mean that and that's no joke I mean the competition in, in Sussex cross cross country is incredibly high what sort of speed are we talking about what sort of time are you run historically for 5k or 10k or the marathon you, you know what sort of standard are you at on on those sort of more traditional formats so funny enough i've never i've never actually run a 10k okay. um yeah i did a i did a 5k on the track two weeks before ccc okay um which isn't particularly specific training no uh, but but ran Ran 1501. Okay. Um, which I was pretty pleased. I'd like to, I definitely need, it's something, my speed is one of my strengths, but it's something I definitely need to work on. Um, mm. It's sort of gone of the days where you can afford to be a, a slow ultra runner, um, especially in races like CCC or Western States or Tarawera, where there are really runnable sections and being able to get into a good rhythm is really important, which is why we see a lot of the American runners. So people like Hayden Hawks and Jim Walmsley, who have come from a collegiate cross country and running background, and they are they are fast runners first. Guys. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, that, those guys are all running, fast. running sub thirty minutes for ten k, right? And it's yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you just like you say, if they drop it into a flat flat trail section, and you know they're running at five and a half minute mile pace reasonably yeah. comfortably, I mean, who the hell is going to get near them? Exactly. Unless you have that raw speed at the top end, right? And have you ever run a, a road marathon or anything approaching other than the one? Yeah, the so I ran rather foolishly. I so after C, I only got my place for CCC um, a couple of weeks before the race because I, I hadn't collected any <laughs> UTMB points from the year before because I hadn't done a single race. Right. Um, so I was incredibly fortunate and lucky that a combination of the Austria World Tour and UTMB were able to give me a place. Um, but I, I was in the middle of a of a marathon build-up training for frankfurt marathon mm-hmm. um which is on end of october 29th of october and two weeks before i got a bit of a sciatic nerve injury um and so but thought it was going to be okay sort of just pushed it away and sort of my i'd say one of my strengths is definitely comes from my military background of my mental strength but I think it's also going to be one of my biggest weaknesses yeah, yeah. thinking that and just training through and being like, Oh, it's, it's a niggle. I'm sure everyone's got a little bit of pain somewhere. Yeah. Um, but this turned out to be slightly worse than it was. Um, and ended up racing, raced Frankfurt, um, 
in 226 which it's a nice time to have but i was i was incredibly disappointed with it um and i will be doing another marathon this year uh, at the end of this year just to be able to keep my to keep a little bit of my relative speed um i also find that marathon training and racing a marathon is it's just hard you're putting yourself in that in a really really dark place um yeah which is then going to and if you can if you can run hard and fast to three seventeen three eighteen per kilometer for forty plus k that's going to give you so much strength and it's going to allow your body to be accustomed to working at a higher intensity for a prolonged period of time which is what you'll end up doing in an ultramarathon so if you take ccc for example you know you've got a it's a it's a hard start to the race you're probably you're climbing for about an hour 15 before you then open up into a nice downhill trail section mm-hmm. and if you take what hayden hawks did this year he he crew or last year he cruised up the first hill nice and easy and then when he was at the top after everyone had worked a little bit hard he then opened up the tanks and just cruised he was able to cruise for about an hour hour and a half before sort of the next walkable bit um so i think having that having that marathon those marathon legs and that marathon training in you is really important for for the ultras and you see if you look at the houston marathon uh, that was on the weekend yeah. sage kennedy uh, had a superb run he was a bit disappointed with his race um but still ran an absolutely superb time um and i think he probably will qualify for the u.s olympic trials yeah because um, 219 is their threshold right i think he was 219 yeah. 50 but only two guys ran under 219 as far yeah. as i know yeah, so, which is, so which with is, you, you know, you you know, you're capable of reaching that level, and and with the Commonwealth, is that something yeah. that's on your radar? Do you think you could possibly get to the level where you could, you know, find yourself on on the English team for the Commonwealth Games? It's definitely in the back of my mind. There are okay. some absolutely superb uh, English marathoners at the moment. With the Commonwealth Games after Australia, um, being in Birmingham, having a home Commonwealth Games is really, really appealing to me. So it's it's definitely on the radar. Um, I've got a couple of things I'd like to do, like to do first uh, in the ultras, uh, yeah. and because I've come to the sport quite late, I haven't got that so that efficiency and that economy uh, in my legs and in my body. So I'm hoping that I can almost sort of try and fast forward that process by doing slightly higher mileage, we're still keeping a bit of speed and doing the shorter ultras, so in and around 100k. So then hopefully that will be able to translate nicely into into marathon running but certainly for the next two to four years it will be sort of solid ultra and trail running and instead of using the marathon for the build-up also using marathon for speed i think i'm going to focus on the cross country and i think a at the moment for me a sort of an england cross country vest is more appealing than an england marathon vest nice i yeah i I like the mud i like the hills but the, the level of competition uh, in the UK at the moment is amazing and it's incredibly competitive. Through the rest of last year then, after the MDS, you came to the Eiger and were fourth at the 101 and then CCC fourth again. You said the 2018 calendar's starting to pan out for you. What, what's, on the, what's on the radar for this year? And I guess some of that might depend on GB trail team selection at the end of the month, will it? Yeah, so at the moment, that's everything's a lot of my race planning is resting on that. Yeah. Um, and so that race is that's going to be a 50 miles in Penigolosa um, on the 12th of May. Um, yeah. So I'm really, really hoping to get a place there. 
Uh, but before that, I'm I'm off to race the Coastal Challenge in Costa Rica. It's 230 kilometers, five days. So after after Costa Rica, I've got a couple more cross country races. So hoping to race in the national cross countries uh, and then also the inter counties. Before then, racing South Downs Way 50. Yes. Uh, that's going to be <laughs> that I'm really, really, really excited about. Um, so what home... I didn't know before was, and you mentioned this earlier on, was that you you were at um, school down in Eastbourne. Is that right? So you're yeah. going to be yeah, running back to your hometown, basically, which is going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Victor's 5.53 on that course was, was no slouch of an effort. And I know Paul Navesey, obviously, he's one of our team runners and uh, part of the AB training group as well. He had yeah. a 6.11 there. So um, I know he wants to go back and run faster. So is that going to be a, a flat-out effort? Are you going to? Because let's let's be perfectly honest here. I can't really see anybody competing with you quite somehow at the front end <laughs> of that field. It could end up being a time trial, much like it was for Victor. Is that is that something that you know you're going to pour yourself into, or is it going to be a case of to see how it goes in the day? I think a, a bit of a mixture. Um, if if selection for the trail world champs goes well um and i'm lucky enough to be given a place to race for the gb team then for me south downs way 50 is going to be my final tune-up my final hard effort before the race yeah so i'll be i'll be going balls out and giving it absolutely everything that i've got that's so good to um <laughs> okay yeah and i know i know the course well that's south downs is my it's my home it's where i do all of my long runs um and do a lot of the training i did the did the course uh over over christmas uh and it, it is an amazing course but i think victor's course record is is amazing and i'm not no the joke, sort of athlete yeah no i'm not the sort of athlete who'll go into go into a race and to say yeah i want the course record i i want to enjoy the day and i want to give it absolutely everything i've got and if i can if i can look at myself in the mirror after a race and say right i gave that everything i've got and you didn't when you came you came 10th awesome as long as you give as long as you give it everything you got but then also for me because this is this sort of ultra running game is, is so new i'm just still i'm still learning every opportunity that i get to race or do to long mileage i'm learning so much uh, about about pacing about how my body reacts to different environments the kit that i'm wearing sort of my nutrition um and everything but then also for the South Downs Way is, is incredibly appealing to me. Is a lot of the races, and a lot of the training that I do ends up being overseas. Um, so friends and family, yes, they can track and sort of the tracking systems on things like Math and Saab and CCC and are really good. But it, it's pretty difficult to actually see it in in reality. So I think I've, I have sort of quite a few friends and family coming down to the race. So obviously you want to do do well for yourself, but you sort of feel like you'd like to do you'd like to do yourself justice in front of them um, yeah for sure uh, I mean, for them yeah, to see you run to the level that you've reached would be pretty exciting i'd imagine i mean so that that's that's april 7th and then possibly the trail world champs and then does the summer hinge on that or is there a key are you going back to ccc or utmb uh, yeah so i'm going i'm going back um but i'm kind of hoping to uh, to go out to the states for June and July uh, with Hoka to crew and to pace at Western States, with an ambition to then go back to 
uh, go back to Western States in 2019 and race. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, yeah, like you say, I will be, I'll be back in, back in Chamonix um, in August, September this year uh, to race CCC again. Um, thought about moving up to UTMB, um, but the other races that I'm doing this year are slightly built more for speed uh, than they are for sort of serious, serious climbing. Yeah. So I think CCC will CCC suits my plans much better. Uh, it's a course that I absolutely loved, and I think with a little bit more, little bit more training, uh, I now know the route. I now understand the race. Yeah, I sort of feel like I sort of have slight sort of not unfinished business, but I've certainly got a lot more to give I in mean, that race. Coming home with a podium at one of the UTMB events is going to be something that will stand, you know, on the Palmeiras forever. Um, yeah, and you no, know, fourth certainly. place last year. You were only uh, you're right on the coattails of those guys, um, guys ahead, and you can undoubtedly put yourself on the podium and hopefully even better. I mean, so just on the training front, I, I know some people will be thinking, I wonder what what he's actually you know up to training wise, and and I know it's a slightly strange time because whilst you'll have been training for uh, Costa Rica, I I can't think that you'll probably have trained quite as hard as you will do for the trail world champs or ccc but what what does what does a week of training look like for you a real mixture of speed hills long easy you know how do you break that down yeah real real mixture um so so for example so this morning um i did 20 kilometers at marathon pace uh in bushy park so flat but fast um and in, in fact, actually ran a half marathon PB. Nice. Um, and then a Tuesday for me is uh, in the morning, I'll do some cross training. Uh, so 45 minutes, whether it's swimming or on the bike, um, outside on the bike if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, working in Surrey, so we've got some lovely roads and some lovely climbs. So just take it nice and easy for 45 minutes. Uh, before Tuesday evening, um, a training with the AB group. Um, it might be something, these are all sort of tempo runs. So maybe sort of eight by one K reps or sort of two sets of 12 minutes, uh, at LTP. And it's a really, it's really focused on 10 K to marathon training. Uh, and for my relative speed, that's just, it's so useful. It's getting your body, getting used to working at a, at a higher heart rate. So your heart rate might go up to, Mine sort of gets up to sort of 180 beats a minute on these sessions, which is like if you were if you were climbing and you got to the top and there was a really steep bit at the top of a hill, or you end up having to go into a bit of a sprint finish uh, with an ultra. Your body's able to work at that level. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday for me is a double day, uh, so I'll do a two recovery runs, 35 minutes in the morning, 70 minutes in the evening. Thursdays for me have turned into my long run or one of two long runs in the week. And these will be anything from, depending on what phase of training I'm in and what my weekly mileage is going to be, anything from sort of two hours um, up to I got four and a half hours in this week. Uh, Friday is always my rest day. I'm being lucky enough to be supported uh, scientifically by St. Mary's University uh, in Twickenham. Um, and they're giving me uh, some great support, so from some strength conditioning to physio to nutrition testing, uh, and that's really useful. Being able to see 
the actual adaptations that I'm doing, knowing that actually, yes, this training is working. And you can see doing tests, whether it's a VO2 max test or a lactate turn point test, you are able to see benefit of the stuff that you're doing. Um, and you just know exactly where you are. And then you can work out all of your training zones from that, which is really useful. Yep. Saturday at the moment, because it's cross-country season, uh, has been a sort of a cross-country session again with the AB group in sort of somewhere like Stanmore Park or somewhere sort of in and around Brighton. Um, we've been lucky enough to use Stanmore Park a lot this year as that's where the southern cross-country champs are taking place uh, in two weeks' time. Um, so a high-volume session with sort of hard intervals uh, and some hills thrown in. And then Sunday will be another long run uh, with a group. Uh, I'll either do it with a group from St. Mary's uh, or I'll do it with the AB group. And that will be in and around two hours uh, in the morning. Uh, and then I'll do, I might go out again in the evening, depending on how I feel, but probably on the bike and just get my legs, get my legs rolling. Um, so it's, it's, it is it is a lot of running. Um, and at the moment, it's still sort of full-time working. It's, it is difficult to recover in between sessions. So I've got to be really strict with myself. I was going to ask to make you sure. that. So, so with work, are you, are you still with the army, or are you thinking yeah. you are? Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, right. no, I'm. I'm still with the army. Um, I've. I chose at the end of last year that it was, been in the army, would have been in the army for seven years, um, and have decided that actually it's time. It's time for me to move on. Um, okay. Yeah. It's. It's. Uh, it's been an amazing grounding for me, and I've learned so much from serving in the British Army and with the Welsh Guards, and it is a superb place. Um, for young adults to work uh, as you you will get so much more out of yourself however for me if i if i'm going to do something like i said earlier if i'm going to do something i really want to do it properly yeah and be able to really focus um on trying to trying to get as good as i possibly can be i love i love running with a with an absolute passion and yeah. i'm just so glad that i'm able to to take obviously a huge risk into doing doing this sport full-time but I think it's a it's a really exciting time for the sport, uh, and I think it's the sport is the sport is getting so popular. There are so many amazing people doing ultra running, whether it's sort of competing at the highest level or it's someone who's never done one before who just wants to get around and finish. It's an it's an amazing challenge. And the thing that I really love about ultra running is that if you do UTMB, whether you're whether you're Killian or you're someone who finishes last. The course that you do is exactly the same. The yeah. same routes. Yeah. You've got do exactly the same climb. You've got to carry exactly the same kit. You start on the same start line as them. Whereas if you're playing a sport like rugby, yeah, you're not going to... If you're playing for in the Hampshire fourth division, you're never going to play against the All Blacks, <laughs> which I'm sure they'd be pretty happy about. Thank um, God. Yeah, thank God. Totally get yeah. your point there. It's, it's a really... Uh, special special sport someone your age your ability is people racing at the front of these fields deep into their 40s and early 50s and even beyond you could have the most incredible career in this sport and, and I applaud your decision to to give it a go you know to to roll the dice and and um, and see if you can and make go of it because it's what you love to do and that's the most important thing the opportunities you're going to get are going to be vast I don't envy you having to make the decision about uh, which ones you take and which ones you let pass by because they're all going to look, you know, so incredible. 
But uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear, like I say, as a fan of the sport, that your focus is on doing the best you can at a lower number of events. Because we've seen far too many of the high-profile, really special athletes over the last 10 years um, either over-race and burn out with so-called overtraining syndrome or you know, end up with, with injuries. And, th- and that can happen to anybody. But I think having a coach, having a structure... And the years of endurance space that you take into this sport now stand you in the best possible stead to have have success. What an incredible, incredible opening year you had. Thanks very much. An incredible, incredibly bright future ahead. Meanwhile, Dan, in his absence, has asked just one question. Um, now you know damn well as part of the training group you know you train together and he said he didn't have a whole lot more new stuff to ask you because you know each other so well however he has spotted something on Facebook this week oh god he wanted to know a little (laughs) bit more about uh, Riddle Magazine and the interview (laughs) (laughs) I'm just on it now actually and may I just say that uh, you scrub up pretty damn well um (laughs) I've got a picture here of you in a... Good, it's in good a, Photoshop. Oh, my word. In a shoot... Some of the um, some of the attire described here, I can guarantee you that Dan Lawson has never even seen any of this stuff, let alone worn it. A shooting gilet, which is yeah. pretty suave. A white DJ that's pretty, pretty smooth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, some real broody looks in there. What What's that about exactly? Was that just... Uh, a, so a an ex Welsh guards friend does a little bit of writing for this magazine um, and mentioned me to the sort of the head of the magazine and said that it would be great to sort of do an article about sort of someone in the military doing an endurance event. Um, yeah, and ended up I didn't really know really what I was um, what I was buying into. Um, and Dude, I'd be pretty pleased. That. Listen, if if I could. If that was about me, I mean, firstly, you can carry this stuff off. <laughs> I don't I would know look about like that. A, I mean, I dread to think what I would look like, but it would be the proudest moment of my mother's life. Whereas, um, you know, there's definitely nothing to be ashamed of here. It just probably <laughs> means branching out into some new areas, I would think, because, um, you know, this uh, this male modelling career is definitely <laughs> something you could pursue. I, know, I, would no, think. I was, I very. <laughs> I very, very rarely get awkward. Um, <laughs> and this, this was this was one day that okay. I sort of tried to sort of slightly etch from my memory. Um, it was, uh, but I, so for me, it's if if you learn, well, no matter whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, as long as you learn from it, then that's fine. And it's for to be able to sort of have a a really nice article like that written about you and to. Try, try something completely different um i think it's great and if you don't if you don't try these things you don't know i agree um, it's good fun but now stuff. but now i have tried it and i do know um <laughs> i think if anyone did like the photos i think you might be waiting might be waiting quite a while for the next one okay uh, part, partly because i don't think anyone will ask me to do it again i think that's exact is, question which is no was, bad thing what is that about like okay, yeah, I'll try and phrase it the right, the best way possible. But um, Tom, we've had you on the phone for nearly an hour. Just, just incredible. Just incredible to see someone open a, an account the way you have. 
the attitude you bring into sport, the, uh, I mean, veterans of this sport could learn so much from the approach that you're taking to, to racing less, racing better, and getting, uh, you know, the maximum amount of fulfillment and enjoyment from the sport as a result of that. Um, I think the temptation to race a lot is always there. Um, someone like Dan can bounce back, recover really fast from incredibly grueling events and just race again and again and again with seemingly no, you know, no downside. He is one of a very, very rare group of people that can do that. And, um, yeah, definitely. It's amazing, but it, it can also be misleading, I think, because, I mean, if I attempted to race even a quarter of what Dan does, I, was, I would end up on the scrap heap. Um, yeah. So it's each to their own. And for people to hear that, uh, you know, despite how good you are and how, um, you know, some of the offers you're going to be getting, that you're, you're picking and choosing a handful of events to do your best at is, is absolutely brilliant. So thanks so much for your time. Have a great time in Lanzarote and uh, we'll be following your progress then in, in Costa Rica. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yep. Cheers, Tom. All the best. Cool. Thanks. All the best. Take Take care. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.